this morning I'm moving on with this series of kingdom, talking about the kingdom of heaven and a kingdom that we have said exists right here and now, as the Gospels tell us. That it's not just a future kingdom, it's not just a spiritual distant kingdom, but Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven that has come with him and exists even now in its beginning ways in this world. So we've been thinking about that over the past weeks. And as we've been looking at that, looking at it in the Gospel of Matthew, we have spent the last four weeks just in Matthew 13, that there's so much there that we've looked at. Well, today, finally, we move past Matthew 13. We're a little bit further ahead, and and we're going to look at another story that comes from Matthew 18, talking about the kingdom of heaven and what that looks like for us. The kingdom as Jesus expresses it. Now, in Matthew 13, we saw a lot of similar features in the stories that are there. And today, as we move into chapter 18, it's going to take a bit of a turn. Still talking about kingdom, but now a different context. So, Matthew 18, and I'm not reading the whole chapter, we'll just take a few bits and pieces, but this is a chapter that begins with children around Jesus, and then it moves into a story, a story about a sheep that gets lost. We're going to look over that one. And then it's some instructions, instructions for, you know what, if you've got people that you are at odds with, that you can't get along with, that you're having an argument with, here's how you go about engaging those people. And then it ends with another story, another parable. And we're just going to look at the beginning and the end of that chapter, but that's all the things going on in the middle around that that give this some context. So it begins with children and then moves towards forgiveness and what that looks like. So we do that today before I'm going to read these things. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. God, as we open your word today, we acknowledge that this is your word, and we pray that these may not just be words on a page, but that we may recognize that this is your word spoken to our lives. So by your Holy Spirit, may you plant this word in our hearts to hear what it is that you have to say to us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So this comes from Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read five verses at the beginning of the chapter, and then I'm going to move to the parable that comes at the end of the chapter. Here's what it says then. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Then moving towards the end of the chapter where he moves on to this story. Picking it up at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man came who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, this is a hard story. At least it seems to end in a hard place, doesn't it? One of those stories that leaves us with that moment of judgment, something of terror. I mean, after all, the way the story ends, it's this wicked servant is hauled off to be tortured. And then Jesus ends the story with, and this is my, how my heavenly Father is going to treat you unless you forgive from the heart. How are we supposed to take this one? Because this is one of those stories that does talk about kingdom, right? As we've been looking over the weeks, we see these stories that Jesus tells that begins with those words, the kingdom of heaven is like. So how does this tell us something about the kingdom? What should we pick up from this one? Let's pull a few things together just to remind ourselves of context around this. I already told you of the context of Matthew 18, of the chapter, of what's going on there, but let's not overlook how the story begins here. That it begins with Peter asking a question, right? The, the entire story that Jesus tells about this unmerciful servant is the answer to a question. And the question comes from the disciple Peter, and the question is, how many times should I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, not seven, 77. Or maybe you read some other English translations and it says 70 times seven. More than that. All right, here's what's going on there. 
that in Jewish tradition, in the Jewish law, in a, in a book of Jewish law called the Mishnah, it talks about forgiving others that have sinned against us. And in the Mishnah, it says three times, if someone sins against you once, you should forgive that person. If they commit the same sin against you again, forgive them two times. A third time, do it three times. But, okay, according to the Mishnah, if they do it a fourth time, all bets are off. You don't need to forgive anymore after that. That's what a corner of Jewish law said. Peter thinks he's upping the stakes here with this question. Hey, what if I forgive someone, not four, it's not three, but how about seven, right? That makes me a really forgiving person then, right? That's what's loaded behind this question. That Peter thinks he's actually pushing it further. And Jesus responds then with this story, a story of seven. So you want to put a number to it? Let's talk about that. In this story then, Jesus uses a literary technique, something called hyperbole. Uh, you know what hyperbole is, right? Hyperbole is a, uh, it's a literary technique that uses intentional exaggeration to make a point. And Jesus is a master of doing that, that often he intentionally exaggerates things to make a point. And so he answers Peter with Peter's question with seven times. How about 77? And okay, Jesus is exaggerating here on purpose. So he's not actually giving Peter a number. Like, okay, on the 78th time, go your own way. That's not what Jesus is after. He's exaggerating on purpose to make a point that we shouldn't be keeping score or count, but forgiveness is something that should continually be stirred up within us. So how does that work? Well, consider some of the other hyperbole that takes place in this story, some of the things that show up in that way. So he tells a story that there's a man who owes his master some extravagant amount. What we read in the NIV was 10,000 bags of gold. You read other English translations, it would say 10,000 talents. And what's a talent? Well, a talent is not an exact amount of money. A talent, talent is what in the Roman world at that time, they referred to as an average annual salary. So, I mean, we talk about terms like that in our society, right? What the average annual salary is of a person in our culture. They called that a talent. What the average person would make in an entire year as their salary. That was one talent, one. So Jesus is telling a story that this guy comes and he owes a debt. The debt that he owes is, get this now, 10,000 years worth of salary, wages. Hyperbole. Jesus is exaggerating on purpose to make a point. There is no way anyone's ever going to repay that, ever. Because it's an amount of money that you can't even count. There isn't a number that can even go with it. Well, okay, I suppose for those of you who are math people, you could figure it out, right? What's the average salary or average annual income of an average American now? And take that number times 10,000. It's probably going to be a whole lot of zeros that come after that. More than anyone will ever have. 
Jesus makes that point on purpose, exaggerating that. This is a debt that could never be repaid. Then he goes out and he finds this other servant who owes him something. 100 silver coins. Or, again, if you look in other English translations, it would say 100 denarii. What's a denarii? Again, it's not an exact amount of money. Denarii is what they in the Roman world referred to as one day's pay. So what you would make in a single day is one denarii. 100 denarii. So a little over three months worth of wages would be that way. Now, so if the average American annual income is somewhere just over $50,000 a year now, that's what the average is in the U.S., we're talking about roughly $13,000 is the debt this other guy owes. Uh, In today's terms, that would be. $13,000, well, uh, that's a lot of money. It is, right? But consider it that for some of us, it's tuition for our kids that we manage, we handle. It's what we've got to pocket away to buy a car. We manage, we handle it. It's not such an extravagant amount of money that it's impossible. It's something that, it's a lot, but you know what? We can work with it. So what's the hyperbole in this one? What's the exaggeration? The exaggeration is the response that this servant gives. Because he says, I know I owe you money, but I'll repay it. I'll repay it. And instead of following the, what would have been the pattern, the pattern that was coming to the first guy, you're going to be sold to repay this, even though it never could have been repaid for the first guy. That would have been the preferred method to settle a debt. That someone would say, I'm going to sell myself. I'm going to be your indentured servant until this is settled, until this is paid. I'm going to work until it's paid off. But that's not what he says. That's not what what the reaction is. Nope, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to have you thrown into prison where you can't work. You can't make money. You can't pay it back. It's going to remain unsettled that way. That's the exaggeration with the second guy. That even though there's, there's a realistic and plausible way for the debt to be repaid, he says, I'm not going to have it. Because I'm not going to have this one squared. I'm going to keep this as something where I'm over you. And we don't settle it. So he has them thrown off into jail. That's where the exaggeration comes with the second one. The hyperbole then, the exaggeration carries forward. And it carries forward in ways where I don't think we're meant to be scared by the ending. That's not Jesus' intention in telling this story. He's not out to incite fear of judgment, even though the story ends that way. This is how your heavenly Father is going to treat you? Tortured? For all eternity? Jesus has been exaggerating all along in this story to make a point. And the point that he's making with this exaggeration is not, you better do this or else. That's not the point. Because really, how could you? Think about it. How could you? How could you forgive others from the heart? That's what he says. Forgive others from the heart if my motive 
is just to escape my own judgment. Is that really forgiveness from the heart then? It doesn't quite connect that way. I think what Jesus is after here is something a little bit different. He's not saying you better do this or else. He's saying this is really important. This is something I don't want you to miss. It's serious. Forgiveness. It's not one of those little things that's tucked somewhere down the list and it's optional. You know, if you want to, if you don't want to, if you get around to it, if you don't get around to it, it's your choice. The story does not come off that way. Jesus is saying this one moves to the top of the list and you can't ignore it. That's how important it is that we focus on forgiveness. And it's part of then the kingdom of heaven to be people of forgiveness. So let's work that one out, right? Let's see how this one plays into how we live as people like that. Now, in weeks past, I've been doing this where, you know, I, I, we've, been, we've had our working definition of a parable. That the parable is a story that conveys kingdom idea and calls for a response. I've been saying that every week now, right? Parables, stories that convey a kingdom idea and call for a response. And so every week we've been looking for what's the kingdom idea and what's the response. Now today, I'm going to flip that. Let's start with the response and work backwards to the kingdom idea. And there's a reason for that, because once we work backwards to it, it'll take us forwards again to see how that response actually works plays out. But I think we can start with the response because in this story, it seems rather obvious, doesn't it? Because the whole story begins with a question, a question from Peter. How many times should I forgive someone? And Jesus says, you just need to keep on forgiving as part of who you are as a person who follows in the kingdom. And then he tells the story that illustrates it. A story that gives a response that the response is I'm supposed to forgive others just as I've been forgiven. Right? Doesn't that seem like the rather obvious response from this story? You should forgive others just as you have been forgiven. The response that comes out of this. But let's work that one through a little bit. Let's see how that actually plays out to forgive others as I've been forgiven. In this story that Jesus tells this man who owes 10,000 years worth of wages, could never repay it back, has that debt canceled, forgiven. It's gone. We know from Scripture, we know from the Gospel that uh, The debt that we owe that could never be repaid? That it wasn't something that God could just snap his fingers and poof, it's gone. It's forgiven. The Gospels tell us that debt had to be paid. It had to be paid in order for a right relationship with God to be restored. But it's a debt that, like this 10,000 years worth of wages, a debt that we could never 
pay ever. But it was paid. Jesus paid it. And Jesus gave himself so that that debt is settled, gone. The guilt of our sin was taken by Jesus to the cross. And Jesus paid that debt there at the cross. That this is a debt that came at enormous cost. Cost that is beyond our ability to even fathom. But Jesus took that. That's where the forgiveness that we have been given comes from. The forgiveness that we have been shown, that that we've received, it came at that cost. Cost higher than anything we can ever imagine. And in response to that forgiveness that comes to us, our response then is forgive others because we are people who have received a forgiveness that we cannot even begin to place a value on because it is so extravagant. How do we do that then? Well, think about what God's forgiveness for us does. That the forgiveness that God gives to us is something that restores a relationship, brings us to community. You know, I know sometimes we think of the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus gave as as something that gives us salvation, eternal life. That's all true. It is. But what is salvation? What is eternal life? Salvation, eternal life, is a restored relationship with our Creator. A, A restored relationship that will never end. That is sealed for all eternity. That's what salvation brings. That we have been made right with God again. And that relationship, that community with God has now been brought back. It has restored what was broken. That's what is brought about by the forgiveness that we've received. That restored relationship. This works us then towards the place of being able to find a kingdom idea. If you think about it in that way, that if our response of forgiveness comes from the forgiveness that we've received, there's a kingdom idea that's in this story then too. A kingdom idea about what the kingdom of heaven is like. That the kingdom of heaven is a place in which those who have received the grace and mercy of God extend grace and mercy to others. Kingdom of heaven is a place or a community A community in which those who have received grace and mercy from God extend grace and mercy to others. Grace and mercy, that's what comes to us through forgiveness, right? Those who receive this extravagant forgiveness are expected to extend extravagant forgiveness to others. Jesus is describing a characteristic of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Not just spiritual, otherworldly, not just future, but now, today, here, our world. Could you imagine 
how our world would be different if everybody did this. Think of the prayer that we prayed, the lament that we gave just some time ago. How different would our world be if we could be people like this? Kingdom people. That it would change things to live as kingdom people in this kind of kingdom. Recognizing the extravagant forgiveness we have by the grace and mercy of God is something that now we get to extend for others in the kingdom. We see that, we read about that in Scripture, and you know what? Here's the thing. I think, I think we know in our heads this is true, right? We know it. The question that comes to us then is, so if we know it, why don't we do it? Why is it not happening? Right? I think that's something that we've got to get back to. Let's turn our attention back to the response. Right? The response. I'm supposed to forgive others like I've been forgiven, but why is that so hard? Why, why do we have so much trouble doing that? What gets in the way? Let's think about a little bit of application then of how this works. Or maybe how it doesn't work, because that's where we're getting tripped up in things that get in the way. What gets in the way of forgiveness? I'm going to make two suggestions here today. Two suggestions about things that get in the way of forgiveness as it comes to us. One of those things I will hold in one word. Grudges. Grudge. That when I hang on to a bitter contempt for some wrong that's been done to me, can't forgive. You see in the story that that's playing out, right? That this servant who owed more than he could ever pay has it forgiven. But when he sees someone who owes him something that realistically could have been repaid, he said, no, I'm not going to let you pay it back. Instead, I'm going to hold the grudge and I'm not going to let it go. And there will be no forgiveness. At some point, if we're going to be people who move towards a kingdom idea, living in a kingdom where forgiveness characterizes who we are because it's what we've received at some point, I need to start asking myself, what grudges am I holding? Right? That's a question that comes to us. Am I holding on to grudges and bitter contempt? Who am I holding grudges against? There are people in this world with whom we disagree. There will always be because we're different people. And especially outside of our walls where you find different cultures, there will always be a variety of perspectives and points of view. And it doesn't mean that we all have to agree about exactly everything. I don't think that's realistic. But when people with whom we disagree become, in our minds, enemies then grudges get in the way. Then contempt takes place. Then forgiveness becomes 
all but impossible. So that's one thing. Think about who am I holding grudges against? Where am I holding on to contempt? And what does that look like? Because grudges are toxic like that. It affects every part of who you are. Think about that. When you think about the things that you just can't let go of because you can't bring forgiveness, think about how that affects you. It affects the whole person. Physically, it affects us because it affects us in ways that consumes who we are, right? Clenched fists, lack of sleep because I just can't let this one go. It makes us weaker people physically when we are people who just carry grudges around all the time and it weighs on us. Mentally, it affects us because it consumes our thoughts, right? It it dominates us and distracts us from other things, that it takes over our minds. Emotionally, it affects us because it produces stress, anxiety, things that impact our well-being, and, and, Spiritually, it affects us. Spiritually. Because instead of being a person who's able to turn towards forgiveness, grudges make me a person who turns away from forgiveness. So, step one. Consider where are grudges in my life and how is that showing up and where is that taking place and how can I let go of that to be more forgiving? Here's another suggestion, step two. Allow yourself to be forgiven. That sometimes forgiveness becomes something that we struggle to do because it's something that we have struggled to receive. That I need to embrace that I am a forgiven person in order to be a, someone who forgives others. Now that may sound simple to say, but let me play this one through just a little bit how we sometimes don't let ourselves be forgiven. That maybe sometimes we're buried under such a weight of our own guilt that we won't accept it. Sometimes we think, I've I've done so much wrong that I have to somehow keep earning this back. I have to keep trying to do the right things over and over and over again, not because... It's an expression of gratitude or thankfulness, but because I feel like I'm trying to repay back this debt. Does it feel like that sometimes? That the man in this parable who owed more than ever could be paid, that's us, and that debt's been paid. But sometimes does it feel like, you know, I'm just trying and trying and trying to do this Christian life thing because, you know, I know I can never pay it all back, but it still feels like I should. That I'm not allowing myself to be forgiven so that the life that I live is not trying to repay something, but the life that I live is a response of gratitude and joy. Thank you for paying the debt I never could. That I allow myself to be forgiven that way. Or consider this, sometimes, sometimes we don't let ourselves be forgiven because, follow me on this, it's weakness. 
weakness. Because to be forgiven, to be a person who accepts forgiveness, is to admit there's something about which I am helpless. I can't make it right. I can't settle the debt. I can't repay it. I am helpless. And in that moment of helplessness, weakness, that's where forgiveness comes in. Some of us struggle with that. Struggle with bringing our lives to a point where we can admit, I'm helpless. God, I can't do this. God, I can't live up to being the person that you expect on my own. And so I need that forgiveness. And it comes that way. So that's the second thing, asking ourselves, do I allow myself to live as a person forgiven by God? Taking those two things in then, about letting go of grudges and being forgiven as a way that helps us understand how this kingdom idea takes shape in our lives, a kingdom that God has called us to, right? a kingdom that takes shape in our world around us right now even if it starts in small ways. That the kingdom of heaven is a community of forgiveness. Forgiveness that we receive and forgiveness that we extend. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the way that your word shows us how your kingdom takes shape and how it exists. God, we're sorry for ways when we have maybe messed that up. That we've tried to make this something that we work towards ourselves. And Lord, help us then to be people who can embrace forgiveness, recognizing the value of the forgiveness we've received for you. So God, help us to let go of grudges and contempt that get in the way. Help us to find ways to overcome that. And God... Help us to live as people who know and receive and embrace and embody all that it means to be forgiven so that the grace and mercy that flows so freely from you to us can be a grace and a mercy that flows from us towards others in the form of forgiveness. Help us to do that. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's sing this together to God.